You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. What's up, Downers? Welcome back to the podcast, and really, welcome me back to the podcast, as in, I'm back home from tour. So I'm not able to do four podcasts a week on the road, obviously. I was able to just do one while I was gone, to tell you the truth. But now that I'm back, I'm going to be trying to do one or two a week. I've got one so far this week. Today, I'm talking to Aaron Lunsford. Aaron was on tour with me, although I waited till we got back to do this episode. Uh, Aaron's a barbecue nut. He's a cook. Uh, he's worked in kitchens. He... All he cares about is food, you'd think, if you, by talking to him. He doesn't seem to care so much about music or other things. He took us to all the good restaurants we could find in every town we were in the whole tour. He was tour managing uh, the whole tour, the Classic Crime and Matt and Toby. And so I wanted to talk to him about barbecue because barbecue is something that I love and that I'm kind of an amateur barbecue cook. I have a smoker and do stuff like that and grew up with it. And he has started a barbecue business. That's what he's actually doing for a living other than some other miscellaneous podcast things and writing and he does a, bu- a few things, but drives Uber or Lyft, actually, I think. And uh, he started a barbecue business called Magnolia Barbecue. And it's quite interesting. I've had his stuff before, and it is freaking amazing. It's is wonderful. Great brisket, great pulled pork. And so we always wind up talking about food and barbecue. So I thought it would be interesting to get into that today. And it's not super technical, but there's some tech talk about barbecue and things in here, but I know a lot of people are really into food as as we are. So I thought you might enjoy hearing from him on on what he does and how it works, and you know, just opinions on food and barbecue. So that's what this episode is going to be, and it's it is brought to you as always by Broadcast Supply Worldwide. Broadcast Supply is where I get my podcast gear, and it is where you should get your audio podcast gear, whatever it is. They specialize in radio and broadcast and podcasting. They've been doing it for years and years and years. Their website is bswusa.com. The prices are great. Uh, they are very helpful. They have a phone line. You can call and ask them technical questions about the gear and how to set it up and how to podcast with it, everything. And uh, you can get 10% off of what they already have great or the best prices on everything anyway. And you can get 10% off if you use my promo code down, D-O-W-N. So thank you to them. Uh, also, I wanted to tell you that Emory's got a bunch of tour dates this summer and there's at least three weeks worth or more online. So that starts in Missouri, goes to Seattle, down to California, and we've just put up some shows today in Texas that will be, those won't be till September, but just go look at it from June to September. We've got shows, we've got some Midwest acoustic shows. Uh, we're going to be pretty busy. So most places, you might be near enough to an Emory show and we would love for you to come see one and most of them are ten dollar tickets except for the acoustic shows are not but most of these shows are full band with Devin. the tickets are ten dollars we've rented the venues out and we're going to show up and you're going to show up and we'll just see how it works out we don't have any guarantees or anything but pretty confident and a lot of the tickets have already sold really well so jump on them immediately also the matt and toby pre-order is up you can get a couple of songs right now from the new matt and toby record called i quit church and that's matt and toby band.com you can get a couple songs right away you'll get the album early and toby and i will greatly appreciate it if you're a type of person that spends money on music which you probably should be in my opinion but if not you have to wait a long time until the record's out and then you can stream it for free which is fine too uh, also, our friend Andy that was on a few weeks ago from Lowercase Noises, his record came out last week, so stream away on that one. Go find it on Spotify, click on his Spotify, save it, and listen to his music. It's amazing. His new album is called The Swiss Illness, and it's terrific. Uh, I believe that's all I got for you. Here we go. Let's talk to Aaron Lunsford. Break it down, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. 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 Okay, so Lunsford, we're live. Here's the problem is we were just on tour together, and I meant to get an episode with you just talking about barbecue, but I just didn't feel like doing it on tour. It's, not, <laughs> it's just really not that fun to podcast on tour. So even though doing podcasting in person is a thousand times better, yep. it's still easier for me to get home and then Skype you from my office when I got yep. home. So sorry about that. 
Well, that's all good. Don't you agree that on tour it's just impossible to do anything? Uh, just logistically, yeah. I mean, it's like, well, I'm out tour managing on that tour, right? Yeah. So it's like, what do I take a break? We get to the venue and then, oh, I got a podcast for an hour. Yeah. Like, no, I can't, you can't do it. So I'm having a hard time just figuring out if I like going on tour or don't, or if I like being at home or if I don't. I'm very confused on both of those matters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I told uh, somebody, we got home and I, somebody asked me to have a good time or what, how was tour, and I said, and Cassie was there, and I was, I, I was like, no offense to Cassie or my life or family, but in a way, I definitely feel more, almost more at home on tour, in the rig. Mm-hmm. I feel more in my element, a little more comfortable. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I, I know this life. I know that life better than I know my current life with kids, because I've had kids. <laughs> <laughs> I've what, had so, kids for four yeah. years, right? I've had kids for four years. Uh-huh. I've toured for 10 right yeah so it is Mm -hmm. still less familiar to me to be a father of three well being a father of three too (laughs) we have a we have a we have a two-month-old so i'm not i'm not even used to that yet so uh when i came home i had a day where like bunda texted me about this he's like yeah post-tour stress syndrome or whatever traumatic and i was like dude it's rough like it it felt so strange and it seemed like uh, I needed like a day at a hotel by myself to mm-hmm. to think or decompress before I went home and saw my kids. Yeah. But, you know, me and Toby drove the bus home uh, like all morning. We get I get home at like 2 p.m. and then you're just back at it. Yeah, no, it's bad. So, it, the, it's, it is really rough. I do think a decompression day would be ideal if you could uh, possibly go to a hotel in town and then maybe – Visit your kids for a couple hours and have dinner, and then go yeah, back to your yeah. hotel at least one <laughs> yeah. more night. Yeah, <laughs> because but the day you get home, it's just not. It just isn't a good day. You think it'd be super happy and stuff, but and it is. But there's like I walk in the door, and my wife's had the kids for two weeks or longer, however long we were out, and she it, it, she's like, okay, dropping the reins, right? When I walk in the door, and I'm walking in the door thinking, okay. Now I'm finally home to chill out, uh-huh. and that ain't what happens. I mean, it's just no. it's straight to it, and it's, it's quite uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, there's no chill time. It's eh, you know the kid like Magnolia's four, Buddy's two. So I have two kids that are very aware that I was gone mm-hmm. and very happy to see me. Yeah, and and then Cassie, you know, she likes to talk, so uh, she talked to me for a while <laughs> for hours and hours <laughs> yeah, and hours, yeah, I'm telling you everything there. that happened. Oh yeah, everything. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but I do feel, I don't know if it's less responsibility being on tour is one of the things that makes it attractive. I mean, it seems like it's all rough. Everything's rough and it's stressful and it's hard in itself. But it's, I mean, I I really feel like I really sleep in my bunk on the bus. That's where I belong, it feels like. It really does feel that way. Like that's my place, you know, and not not to make fun of it. I like being a part of my family, but, or it's my wife's house. Yeah. Or my bus is what that's the way I think of it. As if it was my portable man cave that you know can live in or, or something like that. Yeah. And I promise you, if I had that bus parked outside of our house, I would spend a lot of time in it. <laughs> <laughs> me and to- we pulled up to Toby's house, and Cassie met me there to pick me up. And me, me and Toby sat on the bus for a minute drinking a beer <laughs> yeah, while, right. while our kids were playing in the front yard. Like we didn't want to leave. <laughs> yeah, like definitely. So it, it's weird. I. Yeah, I like the the Emory bus in particular. The bunk is more comfortable than my home bed. Mm-hmm. Like I sleep better in it. And then I think about being on tour, the unbelievable amount of alcohol I'm able to consume and then mm-hmm. never have a hangover and totally function the next day. Mm-hmm. But like there were many nights on the tour where hanging out drinking, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna feel like shit in the morning. But I wake up, back at it, and just go for it. But if I mm-hmm. did that at home, it would ruin my life. Yeah. Def- oh, for sure. Anything. It's to- yeah. a totally different thing. I don't know exactly what the science is behind that, but you, the metabolism seems to work differently on tour. Yeah. Uh, I did gain a little bit of weight because of how much we eat and what we get to eat. How about you? Did you gain any weight? Oh, for sure. <laughs> 100%. Um, I'm having a problem with your audio on my Pro Tools, but Reva, you're getting it through at least, right? Okay. So, And you definitely are recording your end? Yep. Okay. Then I'm not too worried about it then. Um so let's talk about food then. That's your favorite thing to talk about, huh? Yeah, I think so. I think I just uh, somehow I've gathered a wealth of knowledge on it where I'm able to talk about it fluently. Do you, you like know. food better than music now? 
Yeah, for sure. No doubt about it. No doubt. Uh, I, I mean, how do you figure out what you like? What do you spend time on? So, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously I'm doing, we'll get to it, but I'm doing barbecue as a business now. Yeah. But even just if I'm at home and I want to do something that I like to do, I'm not playing my drums. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to go, oh, I just got to play the drums. I'm like, oh, I want to cook something. So, um, because it's something that I have total control over and can make a full composition by myself, right? Mm-hmm. So just playing the drums, you're just on your own. It's just noise. Um, so if you don't get the band together and write a song or whatever, then I, to me, there's not a lot of purpose. Um, but with food, you know, you can make a full dish all the way from beginning to end by yourself. You don't need anybody else to do it, right? So yeah. I think I, that's the satisfaction probably. That yeah. Just the control. Well, you, you, you're prompted biologically to think about food many, many times a day. You know, it's so that's, right. there's something worth cultivating there because that's inescapable. It's inescapable that you're going to be drawn to food, need food, be satisfied by food, things like that. So it only makes sense to put some effort into it and not be a lazy food consumer, you would say. Yeah, I agree. Well, I try to, I mean, th- that's kind of a mission. There's food writers that just want to get people to cook, you know? Mm-hmm. And take joy in that. Um, Michael Ruhlman, who's one of my favorite writers, and he's probably the best food writer on the face of the planet, he always says that you need at least one person in your house, your family, that cares to do mm-hmm. the cooking. It doesn't have to be everyone. You don't have to turn your family into a bunch of like little iron chefs or whatever, get them on TV or something. But if at least one person in your household just cares to try to cook at home and get better and do good food, then mm-hmm. that's just so beneficial just to your overall quality of life for everyone else too. So well, in the family. I have a little bit of a challenge to that. I would have agreed with you yesterday, but I cooked last night and it was such a disaster that I almost <laughs> wanted to give up. <laughs> I'll tell you what happened. In fact, I was barbecuing, not barbecuing. Pro- in fact, You're- we'll dissect that a sec. I was grilling. Um, which some people say is barbecuing, but we'll get to that in a second. I'll tell you what I did. I was making flank steak tacos. So I'm just now, Justin, to get home from tour, I said, all right, I'll just, I'll make this flank steak. Bridget had the meat. It was frozen and then thawed out. And then I said, I'll make the tacos tonight. It was nice. We have our patio, our Airbnb wasn't being used. So I said, we'll sit out there all together. Bridget filled up the uh, pool kiddie pool for Georgia to play out there and the baby's crawling around and I was going to grill that and Bridget was finishing up some other stuff. So I cooked this flank steak uh, on the grill and didn't think much of it, just did what I normally do. And then meanwhile, my family fell apart. All three of them entirely (laughs) fell apart during the stress of me trying to cook, which means I couldn't help do anything else. And Bridget was wrapping up work and the baby's crying and Georgia's getting wet and all kind of making all kind of trouble back there. And then... Uh, so we're having all these problems, and then the, then the schedule gets off, which is a horrible thing about grilling or cooking when uh-huh. some things are done and some things aren't done and what enough space on my grill for the corn. Yeah. I didn't have enough coals, so I, I just ran into some jams, and I was, and then they started melting down. And this is what always almost happens is Bridget will get frustrated to the point where when it, the food is hot and ready to eat, she's won't come sit down and eat. So then yep. eventually me and Georgia just sit down to eat and Bridget's cleaning up something or dealing with a baby who had to get, be put to sleep inexplicably at 6.15 last night. <laughs> I don't know why. And so, the, and so the meal's not turning out good at all. And then, I'm not kidding about this, I got the meat, finally got it off the grill, had it at the right temperature. I had it right at about 1.30 and it was looked, looked pretty good. And then I tasted it and I think the meat had just already gone bad. Like... The the meat had gone bad before I cooked it. Like it was it was oh, it was already no. it was already basically turned in the first oh, place before God. I so it was a failed endeavor from the get go. And so it I, I don't know if it had sat too long before it was frozen or if it thought sat too long after it thawed. But whatever, yeah. I don't even like frozen meat that much anyway. But all that trouble, all that mess, family melted down. The meat was ba- I mean we ate some of it, but not you much. Ate it? A little bit. No, but it's not the. I don't think it makes you sick like that. It's just you could tell it started to smell a little. It just smelled a little bit funny, and it was. It clearly had gone gone to some degree bad. But uh, you know, it was just a little bit. We used some of the well done parts in the taco, and it didn't eat much of it, and threw two two and a half pounds flank steak away after that. I don't find that frozen frozen beef to me is harder if you're trying Mm -hmm. to do steak like that. If it's mm-hmm. like stew or something, maybe that kind of yep. 
goes away. But if you're trying to do like a medium rare steak, mm-hmm. I don't know. Sometimes so, it just doesn't work well for me. But so I, I grill on a Weber kettle for the most part. I do have a smoker that I use, and I am actually pretty good at grilling, despite the many failures I have and time management being the main one. But the temperature and the heat. And managing that and the, the meat itself and the marinade and the technique, I think I'm decently pretty good at. But, you know, it happens from time to time that I fail. But uh, what do you like to cook on? And uh, first, well, first of all, how about that question before? What do you, how do you differentiate or define barbecue? Because that's, okay. that's what's most interesting to so, me. So in America, barbecue, really, I think to people, especially from the South, barbecue means smoked meat. So mm-hmm. even in, in some parts of the South, I mean, you know this, some parts of the South barbecue would be synonymous with pulled pork, smoked mm-hmm. pulled pork or chopped pork. Like yeah. it when, I, when I grew up, if somebody says barbecue, it, they mean we are eating pulled pork exactly. with sauce, yes. probably on a sandwich. That's, yes. the, that's a t- It's not a method of cooking, where I, or at least, I, you know, it, it's so focused in South Carolina where I'm from that I thought that that meat is called barbecue. That specific dish is called barbecue. And I I think it is, I don't use barbecuing as a verb. Okay. To me, barbecue is a noun. It is the finished product. Yes. So obviously you go from region to region. In Texas, barbecue is brisket and Mm -hmm. they do other stuff. In Tennessee, barbecue is mostly pulled pork. Mm -hmm. And then even... So you take issue with people using barbecue as a verb or a thing that you do outside. Yeah, I, I, I don't like that. I think that's grilling out, that's cooking out. It, yeah, it implies something that doesn't make sense to me. Even if it is on a barbecue grill, you could call it that. And I don't know. It doesn't really because of the way we grew up with barbecue meaning a specific thing. It's confusing. So when I moved to California, and uh, Cassie and her friends they'd say, "Hey, we're having a barbecue," and they cook hamburgers on the grill. Yeah, yeah. And I'm <laughs> yeah, like, well, yeah, hot dogs. Yeah. Oh, you're you're cooking out. Yeah, definitely. Like, we have a we have a fast food chain. Devoted to that cook cookout, out, right? Yeah. So it it's a regional thing. It, I mean, West Coast people don't get it. New England people don't get it. Like uh, I, I don't know how to, and they don't listen either. When you try to no, they don't to listen them. at all. They think you're a dumb Southerner redneck. Why are yeah. they gonna listen to you? I don't know. So it, it's a it's an uphill battle when it comes to that. And they'll never they'll probably never stop saying barbecuing. And I just wish they would say cooking out or grilling out. It mm-hmm. sounds better to me and makes more sense because, uh, yeah, if you say we're having barbecue or we're barbecuing, to me, you're implying you're smoking some food, some yes. meat, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's what I think it is. And that's what, uh, I mean, most people that know anything about barbecue will agree. So for America, anyway. So, so would you, but you do include that broadly to be brisket, pulled pork, chopped pork, smoked yes. chicken. I, all that kind of stuff. I don't give a shit about the regional stuff or regional. Um, all right, here's my pet peeve. Somebody walks up to my barbecue stand and they're like, what do you got? And I'm like, well, I got a, I got brisket and pulled pork. Oh, your brisket. Well, I'm from Texas. Mm-hmm. I'm from Texas. So, you know, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> what's the implication? I, I mean, what? That it better be good because I know because I'm from Texas. Yeah, you know, but yeah. most people don't know. Now there's a lot of good barbecue in Texas, but until if I'm talking to somebody, unless they start dropping names of joints that are are known, then mm-hmm. I will assume that maybe you might not have ever had good good brisket. Some people yeah. from Texas think that they go to uh, what's the is it Dickies or something like that? I, who knows? Yeah, right. So, Dickies just chain whatever. Yeah, yeah. So people and they do uh, Kansas City people do. Oh, I'm from Kansas City, so you know. So, I only like that type of barbecue. And I'm just like, does it fucking taste good in your mouth or not? That's yeah. literally the, the only thing that matters to me. Uh, so you, you don't eat pulled pork right? That because but, you're from Kansas City? Yeah, I mean, what, are you ta- yeah. what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, Peg Leg Porker, which is a very, very successful barbecue joint here in town. Very good. In Nashville. Uh, in Nashville. Uh, insane dry rib, uh, dry rub ribs. Um they they got a Yelp review recently, and it was a guy saying he gave them like a one star because they don't serve burnt ends and brisket. Yeah, <laughs> they don't they don't even make it, and so he gave them a one. He star. got them a, a bad review for what they don't have. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I mean Tennessee Bar- Pegleg, he is uh, from outside Memphis, and he maintains this. Hey, we do Tennessee barbecue, which Tennessee barbecue is pork and chicken, really. Mm-hmm. They're 
brisket is not in the, you know, the book for Tennessee barbecue. People do brisket. We have cows. I do brisket. I like brisket, but I respect that about what he does. He's like, this is what I grew up doing. This is what I know how to do. And so I'm just going to do this thing. And he has a line out the door, you know? So it works Mm -hmm. for him, but it's insane to me to say, I'm from Kansas city and you don't have burn-ins. So your barbecue can't be good. Well, that is, there's no logic in it. So, um, so I've, I think probably before, maybe even five years ago, I probably fell a little more into that category of like, I'm from, you know, Arkansas or Tennessee or whatever. Uh, So fuck Kansas City barbecue or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think really, does it taste good? You know, did they do a good job at what they're doing, their style? Mm -hmm. Because it can all be It's very funny to make it territorial in the sense that, of course, it's a certain way, but... We have all the information now. Like, mm-hmm. it's not that hard to, it, it can be done to find out how to make something from a different region and oh, do it well. Yes. That is certainly possible <laughs> with the internet, at least, yeah. and get the right temperature and a little practice and everything else. But the well, other thing is funny about barbecue being that you, it sounds so simple and it kind of is, but it's, but it's so much more than just a recipe. There's, it's like, obviously, it's just you get this pork shoulder and you get it to you know internally to 208 degrees and you cook it low and slow at 225 i guess that'd be the standard that's all that's almost all there is to it right from a way from a theoretical point of view yes yeah it's slow cooking meat temperatures Mm -hmm. can vary seasonings can vary wrapping not wrapping whatever but to me so barbecue is simple but it's not easy right no it's not easy at all you have to really care Right. Mm -hmm. But the process isn't, uh, it's not rocket science. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not molecular gastronomy with uh, liquid nitrogen or whatever Mm -hmm. that, you know, making ice cream in a bowl, pouring that shit in or something. It's just putting meat on the pit and cooking it well. But you have to really, really care. And so that's why uh, it attracts doing it professionally now and opening this business, it's attractive to me to like say, no, I'm going to care. I'm going to care more than the other guy. I'm mm-hmm. going to wake up early and cook the meat fresh that day mm-hmm. so that it's the best it can be and not, oh, that, what, not take shortcuts, not try to figure out how can I make this easy to do. So, cause it's just not easy. So yeah, to be, to be the best and to, to really, you know the people that have uh, acclaim throughout the barbecue world. There's there's not really any shortcuts. There's no tricks. You have to yeah. really care. I think so. And so when you say getting up early, what does that look like to get your pulled pork and brisket and ribs? Pulled pork, brisket, and ribs is what you're doing mainly. When what do you do to get them ready for? What you you start serving at five o'clock or something like that? It depends on where I'm setting up, but mm-hmm. yeah, if I'm doing. Uh, say on Tuesdays usually, I'm not cooking a day, but Tuesdays I, I sell outside of American Legion Hall. It's a honky-tonk night that's mm-hmm. super popular here. Um, and so I start selling ribs around 5 or 6, and the brisket usually is ready around 8 to 9. Mm-hmm. And so I probably wake up at 7 to get that going. So mm-hmm. I like to have the briskets on by 8 or 9 a.m. And I usually – I cook uh, – I cook at a pretty high temperature relative to what people think. That's another thing about the low and slow, like the 225. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm finding and reading and researching that in a lot of ways, it's totally unnecessary (laughs) to cook that low. What do you you like the temperature to be, 300, 275? Uh, Man, I rock my briskets 300 minimum almost the whole time Mm -hmm. they're in the pit. Sometimes I get it up close to 400. No joke. What would be what? What traditionally they would say that's not good because it would dry it out or cook it too fast or what? They would say that, but so I let's say I put a brisket on at nine o'clock. I might crank up my fire uh, to three seventy five, four hundred, and it's almost like I'm getting a, a sear on it and just getting that temperature up. Mm-hmm. And I use prime briskets, um, and I end up wrapping my briskets, and they are not drying out. Not yeah. even close. Well, They're, wrapping them helps them not dry out. Then. It does towards the end mm-hmm. of the process. It does help them. Um, but as long as you, I mean, I don't know. I know there are people that probably cook briskets um, in Texas at three seventy five, maybe, and they do them in mm-hmm. like six hours, and they have some of the best brisket in the world. I've had their brisket. 
Well, when you're doing ribs, a lot of time you cook at high temperatures. But if you do at high temperatures, you have to mop, right? Is that not the idea? So the ribs, and this is difficult on my pit. I cook the ribs on the colder side of the pit. So if I'm running at 350 uh, for my brisket, say, or 325, I do want my ribs to run lower than the brisket. Mm -hmm. So because they are not going to take as long to cook. Uh, If I'm trying to have ribs at 6 o'clock, I'll put them on at noon. Uh, Spare ribs, they're bigger, so they take longer than baby back ribs. Um, I'll put them on about noon, and I can get them done. And I wrap those two uh, after at like hour three. I probably wrap them for an hour and a half, and then pull mm. them out of the wrap and let them bark up a little more. Um, and I do mop my ribs too, or I sauce them. So not literal mop, but I sauce them a couple different times throughout the process. But um, I think, uh, yeah, I think if you cook the ribs too hot, you know. It's harder to keep those tender and moist for sure, but the br- the briskets have been holding up for me. So, so same, is it same with is it shoulder. more of a feel than anything over yeah. time? It's less scientific, but you're getting a pattern and a groove. But it's just you just have to have enough repetitions. Yes, just to I, figure it out, and it's different for where you are, ambient temperature, your own smoker, all that stuff. That yep. All you those gotta, variables keep changing. So yeah, you got to learn your cook. You got to learn your cooker. You got to learn. The atmosphere of that particular day, wind, all sorts of stuff can play into it. So, and that's where it goes back to you just have to care. You gotta, yeah, you have to you stay on keep top on of it and watch care. it. So, I'm cooking, you know, a big barbecue uh, restaurant that's popular. They probably have a pit room that everything's mm-hmm. under indoors, out of the elements, with, uh, you know, their uh, smokestacks going up through a ceiling or something. But I'm just cooking out in the rain, thunderstorms, like yeah. it, it's wild. Um, so I think, yeah, you just got to pay attention and uh, know what you're looking for. I use a meat thermometer for the brisket, but nothing else. So the ribs and pulled pork or chicken is just all feel for me. So that's good, dude. Uh, so how do you what do you what do you mean by feel? You just mean you think it's done because on pulled pork, for instance, if you stick a fork in it and twist it and it shred, it's ready. If it starts falling apart, it's good yeah, to go. That's one I go way to look for at the, it. Uh, the the bone, the shoulder. Oh, bone. the shoulder bone. Yeah, you can if pull can, it. If twist I can pull it, it out, yeah, I'm good. The ribs, I can usually look at them and tell if they're done by how much the meat has shrunk off the bone, mm-hmm. um, and then pick them up and kind of move them and see how they're. Oh, if they uh, crack when you when you yeah, bend see, them, if they crack, yeah, yeah. yeah so that it it would be a hard thing. I try to think of okay, one day if I get a restaurant, I'm gonna have to teach somebody how to do this, and it mm-hmm. terrifies me because yeah. the idea of finding somebody to care as much as you care, and then being a good teacher, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know if I can even do that. So, uh, well, I don't. I think in a lot of the barbecue places they don't. I mean, the guy running the good barbecue places around the country are just people like you that. Are do, they're, they're the ones getting up at five every morning in Austin and doing it. They're, that's yep. what they love, you know, yep. kind of thing. And that's the same thing I say is about guitar or music the same way. It is impossible, or I've never heard of it. I can't imagine it being the case. Uh, or if it, uh, maybe sports, professional sports would be this way too. It's very amazing to be on top of the game and to be a professional and be able to earn money. Like that's rarefied air to, for cooking or sports oh, or music, yeah. to be able to earn money. However... It, it's uh and it's 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 lucrative it's good it works however it's impossible to take the approach from zero to success with the idea of uh making money or becoming a professional in mind that is never going to be the motivation that gets you from one to the to the other like Correct. you can't say it, it would be a horrible use of your time and resources if you wanted to earn a living to put in what you'd have to put into guitar playing like right. if think about if you thought of every time you practice guitar as work as an investment toward a goal of a profession it would oh, be a horrible God. time horribly spent with unbelievably high risk uh, low, low likelihood of success, and if you thought of all those hours as work hours toward your career, yeah, from the time you first starting to get your fingers to make a, a G chord or a D chord, <laughs> that that's that's just ridiculous. It'd be like you know, it's like saying I'm going to put ten thousand hours in according to Malcolm Gladwell's book, and I think a guy tried to do this one time. I don't know if he's done with the experiment yet. He said, well, if the ten thousand hour thing is true, I'm going to become a professional golfer. I've never played. But I'm going to do 10,000 hours of golf as an uh-huh. experiment and see how good I get. But that, of course, n- would never work. And you would never, nobody would ever have the motivation to get good enough to be successful if yeah. their motivation was simply to be successful and not because they enjoyed 
freaking playing the guitar or sitting yeah. by the smoker all day. So you, you're never going to hire somebody and say, I'll train you. I'll just tell you how to do it. Yeah. Can, can I pay you $20 an hour? Uh-huh. That person will never, they will never be good at it. They yeah. can't be. If that's yeah. all they're trying to do is be paid to cook barbecue. Yeah. Well, it's I, an art in, in that regard, I would yeah. say. Well, I mean, I've kind of been, I've been running and putting off the idea of trying to cook food professionally for a uh-huh. living. Because I cooked, uh, a quick background, I started cooking in restaurants in Louisiana when As Cities Burn stopped touring full-time. Because mm-hmm. I, got, I got turned on to cooking, and I was like, I'm going to go get a job at a restaurant. So I walked in and lied, basically said I want to go to culinary school, which wasn't mm-hmm. even true. I was like, I'm just going to see what happens. But I got really turned on to it, and then ended up, did that for a few years, ended up having one stint at a restaurant with a, a couple very, very good chefs that taught me an unreal amount of just cooking knowledge that I just took from there and built on it at home and continuing to learn and stuff. Um, so even barbecue, like, you, you know, the thing how people are like, oh, you're such a good cook. You should start a restaurant, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just such a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> like most people that anybody's ever said that to is an awful, awful, awful idea. So, yeah. Like, it, well, it, there's multiple things from the skill to the actually doing the business part of it and all that other stuff. It's not even related. Also, Plus, it seems I mean, like it's one of the worst business. It, I mean, it probably is very similar the more I think about it to music as in. That's a terrible idea to do is for professionally. I mean, you're not going to make it. And restaurants only fail, except for a few. And same with bands. They don't work. If you think it's fun, absolutely. Other than that, don't worry about it. Don't do it. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not something to encourage, for sure. No, and especially to make somebody say, you know, you're a pretty good guitar. You should drop out of school and try and do that professionally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <or> whatever. <laughs> well, also, the, the gap between cooking something in your kitchen at your house mm-hmm. and then trying to do a hundred of those for people that are giving you money yeah. is a far, far gap. So, and the only reason I feel comfortable doing it, jumping right in with the barbecue thing and I, honestly, I don't even have that much experience making barbecue. I read about it. I eat it. I just know I have a natural uh, understanding of cooking and flavors, and I just figure it out. But if I had never cooked in a restaurant before or worked as a line cook or anything, and I started this barbecue thing and trying to sell people food and just logistically, I'd oh. be totally fucked. I know. Like putting out food fast, like uh, it'd be a nightmare. So, mm-hmm. like I said, I can't even manage cooking for four of my own grill, and I've done it a oh, thousand hours, and I still mess it up half the time. It's, yeah, especially the the logistics. Like you said, is, is one of the worst parts. Do you have to get your smoker out to location and sit there all day when you go at when it, you're going to cook at five, or do you tow it? It depends after on what you I'm started. doing. Uh, some days I start at home uh, and then tow it. You know, at a at a point in the day where I feel comfortable that I can go out and uh, the meat's at a certain point and I'll go finish it there and get set up and stuff. But uh, there's a cigar shop I set up at, the Smoker's Abbey in Nashville. And Friday, for instance, I will do lunch and dinner there. So I'll pull the smoker out there at 7 a.m. and just smoke all day and hang out What can you get ready by lunch? The only thing I can do for lunch, and this is, so I was talking about shortcuts earlier. This is not a shortcut as much as a repurposing. There's hardly anything that is good to do with leftover barbecue, but you can do chopped meats work really well for leftovers, right? Mm -hmm. So I could cook a brisket on Thursday and reheat it on a Friday for lunch and do chopped brisket sandwiches. That's the only, it's delicious. It's the only way to make brisket really good again the next day. Mm -hmm. Same with pork. You could, you could cook a pork shoulder. Um, If you haven't pulled it yet, it, holds up pretty good uh, reheating the next day and pulling it. But if you've already pulled some of it, the only way to really bring it back to life is chop it up in some vinegar and mm-hmm. you have a chopped pork sandwich and it's really good. So those are the only things other than like a smoked chicken salad sandwich, I can also do that. Uh, there's a couple things that I will do where I don't cook them that day. But if I'm doing the premium good barbecue stuff, sliced brisket, ribs, stuff like that, it has to be that day. So I can't, if I want to have brisket ready for lunch on Fridays, which I may get to this point where I have to do this. I'd have to get up at 3 a.m. or 2 a.m. Right. Or something. Yeah, and they, people, they do that do at a lot that. of places. Yeah. yeah, if you have a big business and you want to serve lunch, that's what you got to do. Uh, Frank, Franklin Barbecue in Austin, which is the most popular rest 
barbecue restaurant in the world. They have like a four hour line. It's insane every day. And, but their pits run 24 hours a day, but they're going through 4,000 pounds of meat every day too. Like like 2000 pounds of brisket every day and more on the weekends. So like their briskets, uh, I have his book. um, And then I've watched a bunch of videos with him. You know, they pull their briskets off the pit at 2 a.m. every day and they rest until lunchtime and then they hold them in a, a holding chamber. Um, and then at like 3 a.m. is when they get uh, their ribs and turkeys and stuff like that on throughout the rest of the morning. And then mm-hmm. the new batch of briskets goes on at noon <laughs> while they're serving lunch. So, but their fires run 24 7. So wow. it's insane. So they always have somebody there. Their shifts are like somebody comes in at 2 a.m. to pull briskets. So, well, let's do sauce. There's a big, a lot of debate on what kind of barbecue sauces there are. They're both regionally and just what people like. But uh, I don't, I, you know, if I, anytime I bring that up to anybody, they seem pretty astonished here in Seattle when I explain to them what I think barbecue sauce is and should be. Because yeah. here's what they think it is in Seattle basically, KC Masterpiece. Uh, yeah, smoke flavored ketchup yeah, yeah, is yeah. what they think barbecue sauce is. <laughs> yeah, I well, I saw there's an interview with the pitmaster recently. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but they brought up sauce, and he's like, "It's just flavored ketchup. We have it, but I don't know why anybody would want it." So, yeah, um, sauce is goofy. The only time I care about sauce is if I'm eating a sandwich, because to mm-hmm. me, a sandwich is like a composition of ingredients. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I want some bread. I want some meat a sauce, some slaw, like a pork sandwich or pickles and onions on brisket. So I'm okay with it in that context, but it is beyond me why you would get sliced brisket that is perfectly cooked and put sauce on it. Mm-hmm. So it's akin to putting A1 on a on perfectly steak, yeah. cooked steak. It yeah. makes no sense. So uh, some people think barbecue is defined by you could put pork in a pork shoulder in a crock pot Yes. Cook it in some barbecue sauce. I made, made barbecue. Yes. Oh, no, that's what I'm saying, though. That's what's, that's what's so confusing about it, and that's the reason sauce is so prevalent and so widely liked or whatever, the condiment that you get at mm-hmm. Applebee's. I'd like some barbecue sauce with my fries. But if you take a pork shoulder, I mean, it, you, you can understand why that is. You take a pork shoulder, you put it in a crock pot, yeah. With literally, there's recipes like that. You just put a pork shoulder in <laughs> the crock pot and a whole bottle of barbecue sauce yeah. and turn it on and then come back later and you're eating a barbecue sandwich. Yeah. And it's just orange, <laughs> wet. Uh, I mean, you get if you go to the Hard Rock Cafe somewhere and order pulled pork, that's what you're going to get. I at, at, you know, it's just, it's unbelievable. I don't know and, why. But can you imagine what that would be if you, so the sauce is the savior there, essentially. Because if you didn't have that sauce, that meat is absolutely, has Nothing is nothing. Yeah, but I just don't even know why. Just don't even bother, you know? Like, just eat a, <laughs> eat a hamburger. Ha- cheeseburgers yeah. are great. They take no time to make, you know? They can be like, cooked cheese- correctly in 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, cheeseburgers are like the best food yeah. ever if they're done good, right? Mm-hmm. So just why? Why have? Why do you want or need shitty, you know, barbecue? Like, yeah. I, I don't understand it. I, I don't have a, I don't have an explanation for why people think that's even a good idea, um, or there's so many ways even to do um, take pork shoulder for instance. There's so many great ways to cook pork shoulder that are similar similarly easy as doing it in a crock pot. That's not barbecue, you know. Mm-hmm. Like shredded pork is fine, but do it carnitas in, or car- you cook in a Dutch oven or yeah, stuff like that. Or Italian pulled pork or mm-hmm. something like that. Do something. It's else. not barbecue because it's not dry smoked. Is what yeah, you would exactly. say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, obviously shredded pork is delicious. Mm-hmm. Every culture has a recipe for shredded pork, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't have to dump a bottle of barbecue sauce in there. Just do something different. Yeah, so, yeah. So the the theory there being that. If the meat is done well enough, sauce isn't necessary. That's the theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, our friend Jay Newman, anytime he always says if he goes to a barbecue place, which he's a little bit of a, a aficionado, I guess. He's very experienced eating barbecue. And he always says if he goes somewhere and they say, do you want any sauce? He always says, do I need it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of just this accusation almost like, why are you mm-hmm. even offering it to me? I don't ever yeah. offer sauce to anybody. I have it, and if people want it, I'm not like 
not giving it to them or something. But yeah. if I slice some brisket, I don't say, here's your side of sauce. Mm-hmm. I leave I leave it be. If they ask, I give it to them. So. Okay. But in my opinion, and I think a lot of people, obviously most people do like sauce, but that may be because meats aren't that great, but there's some really good stuff. Georgia mustard type base sauce, yeah. you know, and then, and here's what people don't seem to understand is there's that thick, whatever condiment stuff that you may be Midwest, maybe Texas, whatever you want to say is where that originates from. But on the East coast in pure barbecue country, you have like the thin vinegar. The, the simplest of sauces would be just a white vinegar with chili flakes in it. Yeah. Maybe which I little, love. Maybe a little bit of brown sugar. Maybe. Yeah. And then, so. then from there, you can add a little bit of tomato sauce and get, have a really, really thin red, which I like on as, the pulled yeah. pork sandwich. Yep, as you go west, the tomato That's kinda like, starts getting in it. Yeah, I, that's I like love, Western North Carolina type of thing there. Yep, I love vinegar. I, I love I love chopped pork with vinegar. Growing up, the only barbecue I grew up till I was twelve years old in Atlanta. My dad is from uh, Charlotte. Grew up there. We would only eat barbecue in North Carolina. <laughs> we never have mm-hmm. it in Georgia. And so the only thing I ever knew barbecue to be was chopped pork and vinegar. Mm-hmm. When we moved chopped to Arkansas, pork and vinegar, yeah. yeah. When we moved to Arkansas and it was pulled pork with red sauce on it, tomato based, I, I didn't even understand. It didn't make sense to me. I was like, mm-hmm. what is this? Where is the chopped pork and vinegar? And my dad mm-hmm. I would explain, well, that's Carolina style. It's mm-hmm. the best barbecue on earth. There is no other barbecue. My dad But he grew up that, in North Carolina, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll, so that's he'll why say he things. Thinks, yeah. He'll eat somewhere and be like, that ain't barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> that ain't barbecue. Barbecue is chopped pork and yeah. vinegar. <laughs> and I was like, well, dad, there's other barbecue. He, he asked me when I was starting, they said, you're going to do dry ribs, right? And I was like, well, I don't think so. There's another guy in town that does like the best dry ribs in the country. So I don't really want to try to, I want to do something different, not to compete with him. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's super bummed that I don't do he's dry ribs. Yeah. I so. love the mustard sauce. So lower state of South Carolina and Georgia have a mustard-based sauce. Yes. And it's, a, it's still relatively thin compared to the condiment crap. But um, it is, I really like that on pulled pork. Yeah, I, I dig it. it. The the worst it gets is when you get to the really thick tomatoey sauces. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that that's no good. But I mean, like I said, on a sandwich, I do like a sauce. But probably my favorite sauce on a sandwich these days would be uh, heavy on vinegar with a little bit of tomato base in it, ketchup mm-hmm. base, just to sweeten it up a little bit. But um, the um, my favorite sandwich of barbecue is at a place in, and just to show that I'm not snobby about South Carolina regional barbecue, my favorite barbecue sandwich that I like is. Uh, it's at a place called Oklahoma Joe's. Have you heard of it? I've heard it's of it. It's in Never Kansas. Been there. It's near Kansas City. They have a few of them, and they're they're largely attached to gas stations. But they're pretty yeah. nice. They're they're good joints. But they're kind of hooked up to gas stations, and they have a chopped brisket sandwich called the Z Man, and it's uh it's got a sauce on it. It's got an onion ring on it, and smoked provolone on oh, the okay. on the chopped brisket sandwich, and it's excellent. And that is totally not anything I grew up with. I took a recommendation from somebody else, Andy Nichols specifically. Yeah. Who I don't trust for anything. <laughs> but I went and he's right. And it's an amazing sandwich. I'm not I'm not a snob about the regional barbecue either, but that sandwich is is terrific. I mean, Oklahoma Joe's is yeah, it's super famous. So I've mm-hmm. never been up there, but anybody that talks about barbecue or writes about barbecue, mm-hmm. it's unanimous. It uh, I think I want to say Oklahoma Joe's is the place that everybody says in Kansas City is by far the best. I think so. I've been to a couple else, other so. places they recommend there and had ribs I didn't didn't like, but overall, but that that sandwich really really is awesome. Now we had uh, on the Ad City's Burn tour a couple years ago. Do you remember we got the barbecue in Dallas that I got Bunda to go get yes. from yep. Pecan Lodge, which mm-hmm. is a very highly rated barbecue spot. I mean, what did you think? Had you ever had anything of that caliber? You think? As far as just um, meats go? You know, there's some effect of when you get barbecued as takeout or to-go where you, you lose a little touch with the location itself. Yeah. Kind of thing. So I, we just ate that in the green room, and I really enjoyed it, but the, the, there was a presentation problem there. It was just grab stuff out of a tray, piece of yeah. sausage or whatever. So I don't I don't feel that experience wasn't burned into my memory profoundly like it is going to the place yeah, yeah. Or having the experience. So I was, it was, I was eating barbecue in the green room of House of Blues, which yeah. I found a little unsettling, to yeah. be honest. 
I understand. Do you know that. what I mean? It tasted yeah. good, but that's not the right. The, the environment doesn't feel right. I think a barbecue place shouldn't be. <laughs> it, like the room was fancy. I was sitting. I know that's so silly, but yeah. I don't like eating barbecue with anything to do with fanciness anywhere around me. It's not good. I don't like it. In Seattle, they have to uh, they have to try to make barbecue here, but they have to uh, infuse it with bergamot flavors and some special side dish and charge 15 or $16 for it, yeah. a sandwich, just to, just to justify the cost of labor. And they don't know, you know, and it just, the whole thing throws me off. Do you not so think- I go so far to say I can't even eat barbecue. I want to eat barbecue on a picnic table with a styrofoam cup. At a gas station. Right. That's what. That's where I want to eat barbecue, or outside in Austin, at, where there's dirt on the ground. Yeah. That's what I where I need to be to enjoy barbecue, personally. I I totally or agree. my backyard. I mean, do you think people in Seattle, or because I've talked to Kathy about how I love San Diego, I wish I could live there forever. Mm-hmm. Now they don't really have barbecue there, Mm-mm. and I'm like, man, we could move there if I did what I'm doing now. And then I also I'm already incorporating. I love Mexican food. I love to cook mm-hmm. Mexican food. Uh, I already incorporate a little bit of that into what I'm doing. I was like, so I could um, not fusion, but just like uh, tortilla, you know, barbecue tacos instead of a sandwich or something. So I'm like, man, we could move to San Diego. We could do the barbecue. We'll be the best barbecue in San Diego for sure. But nobody will know or care. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> they won't the know it's best. They wouldn't yeah. know. I don't know. But you don't think if people get that, they take because people travel from Seattle to go mm-hmm. eat in Texas, they go to mm-hmm. South by Southwest. Oh, we went at Franklin Barbecue and it was mm-hmm. unbelievable. So, you think you got to be there? It, well, it's about the environment. I'm very surprised um, about that phenomenon that, that food doesn't travel well out of its region. There's no there's some effect where there's no pressure on it to be right. So, what you have is somebody, maybe one guy who moved. He maybe he's from New Orleans and now he lives in Seattle or San Diego and he started a barbecue restaurant and maybe he kind of knows what he's doing. But nonetheless, he's got no competition and yeah. there's just no pressure on him to do a really good job there because it just people don't know the difference in kind of good and medium good and great. So there's just no reason it's going to be great. There just isn't. It's just without that pressure and without that competition and without thousands of people that already know the culture and the nuance. It's yeah. just not great. So it's just like if I even if you get sweet tea out of the South, they don't know how to make it. You know it's, what I'm talking? It's, it's the same. Like, it's yeah. not hard to make, but there's nobody there that knows, and the, the customer base doesn't know, and you don't get any feedback, and it somehow falls apart if it's not part of the culture. Basically, so you you think opening a barbecue joint in Seattle that it looks like a gas station would be a disaster? Probably they just wouldn't get it. I mean, you might you'd have to train the whole culture locally. I mean, and it's possible that it could grow. People, there are some places here that are doing it okay, maybe, but it, it wouldn't be. It's nothing like trying to open one in Nashville with all the good stuff there and the people that you know what I mean. The the market forces right. and the pressure really. Even you, if you if you moved to San Diego and it was kind of working, I'm not saying it would fail. I'm just saying it might it wouldn't be that great because your your pressure wouldn't be that high even well, your own personal like there's something about you caring about it that matters of course and then there's also the other people down the street and the feedback from the customers and you knowing that this is serious yeah that yeah keeping you on top of your game that's what it requires for anything to be great well cuz i've worried a little bit i'm like okay we're in nashville there's a lot of barbecue here and there's people doing good barbecue so i'm like Oversaturation. I don't know. Nashville's also booming. Restaurants open up like every day. But part of me comes back to, but people understand the culture of Southern food here and barbecue. So mm-hmm. they can come to Nashville knowing, oh, yeah, you, there's places you get good barbecue in Nashville. Uh-huh. Um, so I think that probably plays in the favor, even though there is a lot of it, right? Mm-hmm. Having yes, a, of course. that culture that is educated and knows and like also, a music scene, right? If there's, yeah. if you, if, what are you going to do? Move somewhere where there's no local bands and be one yeah, and be yeah. a good one? It, for what? If there's no culture, there's no right. scene. I mean, you have to be playing with all these other bands and get influenced and people coming out to the shows and then a great band will emerge. They yeah. just will. I but you can't think, just move to a place where there's no bands so that you'll be the best one. Yeah. That doesn't work. I almost think the, the more barbecue joints there could be in Nashville and the less the less uh, brunch places, the better. <laughs> you know, the better. Yeah, like, exactly. If there was a if there was a street, uh, I started setting up doing the barbecue across the street from another guy who sells barbecue outside a butcher shop. I went over and introduced myself. I said, "Hey, just so you know, I'm going to be over here, but most of my business will be after you're already closed and stuff." 
and I was sourcing some meat from that butcher shop. Mm-hmm. And they figured out that it, they're kind of separate. Like the guy, he's kind of partners with the butcher shop. Anyway, the wholesale guy, he called me a couple weeks in. He's like, hey, I didn't realize that you were like setting up across the street. We can't supply you. Whoa. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, I mean, if you ever like move or do it somewhere else, I'd be happy to work with you. And which I'm like, now I'm never buying meat from you again. Like, that's crazy. Silly. But he, and I think he's wrong about this. I think it's good to have a barbe- another barbecue guy across the street. I think so too. It's Pat's and Geno's. Like, we don't, you don't even have that's to right. hate each that's other, right. but it creates a culture of like, oh, there's like two barbecue joints up the street here. Exactly. And that's like, in Philly, Philly Steaks. Pat's and Geno's are across the street, and then yes. Jim's is downtown. But anytime it comes up, everybody that you're with says, oh, you're crazy. Pat's is better. Oh, Geno's is better because they yeah. chop the meat up, whatever it is. Yeah. That's good for everybody. Yeah, that just means totally people are engaged. Good. It's the same thing that makes, you know, it's probably the same thing that drives controversy in the news and the media. And there is, we, we put a CNN panel with four people arguing. At, yeah. at least it's it's happening. It's it's something. It's, it's moving. There's opinions. It's stirring exactly. people, and it just makes stuff go. Well, even so, when I set up the cigar shop within a mile of each other, there are four people selling barbecue at that time. There's the guy across the street. Mm-hmm. There's Edley's Barbecue, which is down the street, which they have like three locations. They just crush like so many people eat there. And then there's G's Barbecue, which is like a older uh, black dude who uh, is not always open. Like you don't know when he's going to be open. He just kind of shows up and will cool. turn on the open sign. But that's all within half mile to mile. The G's, me and the other guy are all within a quarter mile of each other. Half mile down the road is the other guy. And I think that's a good thing. I'd be okay if another barbecue place opened yeah. up even closer. Like, let, let's make like a barbecue, East Nashville barbecue alley or, you know, right. like that's what you'd want. That, that's a destination. Like, oh, there's yeah. all these barbecue joints in East Nashville. Madison is, Avenue, Wall yeah, Street, yeah, Honky Tonk Strip. I, it's, exactly. Of course. Yeah. You think Robert's Western World cares that Tootsie's is next door? No. No, they're glad. Yeah. It's good. It's good for yeah. everyone. So I don't really understand the being bummed that there's another guy setting up across the street. If anything, I don't. You know, be better if that's mm-hmm. you know do do what you got to do. Make better yeah, barbecue you, than me. Yeah, that's so. a rule for not a rule, but it's a guideline for anything. I mean, you want to be around the best, more stuff. That's that's just how you get good. I mean, that's just how you be refined. You know, that's just that's yeah. just what it is. But uh, so your place is called Magnolia Barbecue. Yep, named after Magnolia, my daughter. Now, so. see, that could be a mistake, and I'll tell you a story about why that is. Um, my, this is funny. This is true though. In the in the '80s, my parents built a trailer park uh-huh. in South Carolina. <laughs> developed one, um, yeah. just the land. They bought the land and turned it into a thing where you could do lots and develops and all this. And they were they got they built roads because my dad did site work and landscape not landscaping but site work and earth moving and paving and grading stuff like uh-huh. that. Uh, and so they didn't have the roads and they were naming the roads. So they were going to name the roads Matt Lane and Emmy. Avenue and stuff like that. And then, <laughs> at, the then I said, hang on a second. And at the last minute before they did it, they said, let's not name the, these trailer park roads after our children. And so they did it. So they came up with alternate names. And, and at the time, I was bummed because I was like, this is going to be, I was probably eight or something. But I remember yeah. it because I would go play in the dirt there and do everything. I thought, I'm going to have a street named after me. I was so excited about it. But I'm glad I'm not the name of a trailer park. So maybe... Your barbecue does really well, but maybe it does bad, and you could bring shame upon your name and your daughter's <laughs> name. So maybe. I don't know. But I, mean, I think you have a better chance of it being less shameful than the trailer park in my family Yeah, built. <laughs> hopefully. Maybe she'll hate it one day. I don't know. Right know. now, she loves it. She okay, so let me give you the scenario. Place. That's what she thinks. Yes. Now, here's the scenario. I just thought of the scenario where it goes bad for her. In the future, animal rights, vegan, PETA, <laughs> Kicks in. Let's just say a decade from now, you're mm. some mogul in the, you know, and you're involved in big meat lobby, mm-hmm. and meat is opposed by by ninety percent of the culture, and you're oh, a bad guy. You're God. you're the Roger Ailes of barbecue <laughs> in the future, you know, kind of thing. And your daughter is a is a vehement, super liberal uh, animal activist, and yeah. she's got her name attached to your freaking barbecue joint where you're just slaughtering pigs all day. You see, 
So, I, w- I will have failed as a parent if she ends up that way. I can tell you that. So <laughs> that would be a massive failure on my part. <laughs> so. Well, thanks for talking about barbecue today. Um, because I enjoy talking about it, and I'm going to get back at it and go grill. I'm going to get my smoker out. It's in storage, and I'm going to do some cooking very, very soon now that the weather's good. Do you, What do you have, a Facebook? How do people know how to find your joint if they're in Nashville traveling or local? Yeah, Instagram's probably the best because I post there constantly. So Magnolia BBQ on Instagram? Yeah, it's Magnolia. Uh, Magnolia, I always forget the actual handle. It is... Uh, it's Magnolia well, you got to figure B- it out. It's Magnolia BBQ. Okay, I had it right. Magnolia BBQ on Instagram. You can figure out where you're going to be and, and what's going on. Oh, and last thing, you just bought that. You just got a truck, uh, oh, a trailer? We're, we're about to get real legit. So I'll say this. I'll put it on the internet. Who cares? What I've been doing isn't strictly legal. Mm-hmm. Which I <laughs> admire. Way, which is the way I've been setting up. And I was super stressed about it before we started. And then I was like trying to figure out, okay, cause we don't have any money. We're just poor. Like, yeah. I, I don't have money. I don't. Which ever is, goes along with barbecue. I yeah. mean, it's tradi- even if you want to throw in a history nugget there, they would say it's always been the cuts thrown out by the elites that the, the yeah. peasants is peasant food, you know. Yeah. So I was stressing out, and I was talking to people like, okay, let's start a barbecue joint. Let's get an investor. And then it was just like, what am I doing? Just screw it. I'm going to buy a pit. I found a really good deal on a pit, and I'm just going to set up a table and start doing it. And I have friends that own this cigar shop, and – uh, then the Legion Hall came up, and so the past few months I've been trying to figure out. We talked about this on the bus a lot, how to get legit. And so I found a really good deal on a camper that has mm-hmm. been converted into a concession trailer, and it is very, very awesome. It's twenty four feet. So I, I have a rig. I got a rig now. Wow. I got I got my rig. And so you'll uh, cook in. So you'll have the smoker and the trailer to serve yeah, out of. The, the trailer you got to have to serve out of to be health department compliant. So you have wash, rinse, sanitize, all the shit you need in yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Good. I'm going to buy a truck in Kentucky today. Whenever we get off here, a truck. Yep, I got to get a truck. I to thought pull. you were poor. I mean, in fact, I'm sure you're poor. I am poor. I am poor. But uh, me and you had to talk about some ideas about how to get it going, and so I. Won't go into details on the internet, I guess, but I didn't rob a bank. I uh, legitimately got some money to uh, borrow, basically. Well, tell me where offline, where you got the money, because I'm <laughs> spending spree. I like it. Uh, no, no, I found a, I mean, I found an insane deal on this trailer. Mm-hmm. I'm doing really good. I, my good. smoker was insanely cheap. The trailer mm-hmm. is absolutely nuts. If you ever go on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace, look at concession trailers and look at how much they cost. That are health department ready and it's yeah. absolutely out of control. And uh, what's the truck? The truck it's a Ford F one fifty that just has the right tow package that I need uh-huh. and V eight and we'll get the job done. I drove I drove this thing that I bought last night out in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee. I drove it ninety miles home with the Volvo. Now uh-huh. the Volvo has a V eight, it can pull it, but the every time a semi truck would go by, I thought I was about to lose control. It you was, get the jimmies? Oh yeah, it was yeah. terrible, worse than any van and trailer I've ever. Volvo just sits too low, too thin, um, so the truck will do wheelbase good and, is too narrow. Oh yeah, it was yep. awful, so scary. But I, I made it home. We blew a tire on the trailer, but uh, <laughs> I, I got to get the but a dual axle. So uh, get that out to the trailer shop today or tomorrow. Get new tires on there. Anyway, I'm 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 high right now, like super high on where we're going. So we're gonna paint it, make it look good. So it, it's hard to come on. You keep saying we. Uh, you me mean and Cassie? You, yeah. You and Magnolia, I figure. <laughs> yeah, me and Magnolia. Magnolia's going to paint it. So it's kind of hard to promote like uh, a stable, uh, a stationary type of business where mm-hmm. all these people on the internet might be watching. It's like, well, if you're in Nashville, check it out, I guess. Yeah. But um, yeah, Magnolia Barbecue. So come on out. Well, at this rate, everybody in the country is going to live in Nashville soon. So don't worry uh, about that. There's plenty of people yes. in Nashville. Yep, for sure. All right. Well, thanks for talking today, everybody. Go to Magnolia BBQ on Instagram, and thanks. We'll talk about some other stuff another time. Appreciate it. Later. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh. 
Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor. And every week, I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.